Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. What a lovely day it is in not Sacramento. What a lovely day indeed it is in not Sacramento. We are talking about a movie that I think might be our most requested title at the at this point. I stop keeping track after we get like five requests in the suggestion box, um, but it's it's up there. It's in the top three for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we we said that when we have a, a big heavy hitter title, we don't want to cover it unless we have somebody who is really passionate and wants to join us in talking about it. Because why would we waste one of the heavy hitter titles on just Harmony and I talking when you can have a guest? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like it's good to have somebody in here who can say more about their relationship with their mother, perhaps, than me, because my whole feelings was, oh, my mom's cold. <laughs> we talked about that last week when we did submarine. It's fine. <laughs> this is very, very true. And friends, we have one hell of a guest this week. Joining us is writer and filmmaker Drew Burnett Gregory. Hi, Drew. Hi. Wow, the pressure's on to cover <laughs> Lady Bird here. Look, Lady Bird is one of those movies that the second we introduced the show to the world, everyone's like, when are you doing Lady Bird? And we're like, all right, y'all need to like chill out. We don't want to like go out the gate doing all of the big titles. We've got to save some of them. <laughs> um, well, I'm so thrilled because when you were like, throw out some suggestions of things, I was like, they're not going to let me do Lady Bird. Like someone else has that. Like someone, they're waiting on someone. So I'm honored that I get to be the guest for this. <laughs> I think that you are the perfect guest. You are one of my favorite film writers, and I obviously love Lady Bird. And I was like, this is just, this was, the, the planets were aligning in a way where we have the perfect guest for a perfect film on our not-so-perfect show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Drew, what is it about Lady Bird? Of all the movies you could have talked about, why Lady Bird? I think there's two things. The first one is that I just think it's so good. Like I rewatched it yesterday, which I did not have to do because I've seen it. I've seen it more times in the last, like when I was a kid, I would rewatch certain movies over and over again. But like in my life, my adult life, it's definitely the movie that I've seen the most, which is impressive since it only came out in like what, 2017. So mm -hmm. um, I just think it's incredible. I think just like on every cylinder like it's just it's the writing's incredible the filmmaking's incredible the acting like I I love it as a film um and then the other reason was that I love it and I also have complicated feelings about the fact that like part of my love for it and a lot of other coming-of-age movies that focus on cis 
teenage girls, as straight mm-hmm. teenage girls, especially when it's like, I don't know, like I just, it's it's complicated by the fact that I'm having to, you know, I mean, I think I do this with a lot of different characters who aren't like me. For people who don't know, like I'm a queer trans woman and um, it there is something specific when it's like a cis straight white teen girl who's like thin and is like the main character and then the other characters who are around her who have like more marginalized identities or whatever like it's such a sort of mm-hmm. tropey thing um and so i have complicated feelings about you know what teen girls stories i've gotten to see and the way that i relate to them and also the ways that i don't relate to them um which isn't necessarily a critique of the film as much as it's a critique of the culture you know like I don't want Greta Gerwig making like a trans coming of age movie but it's like <laughs> I would love for other people to get to you know yeah this it's just a a thing we talk about pretty routinely which is it's it's a an unfortunate circumstance of how teen films are produced and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. they're extremely white and they're extremely straight and they're usually like the prettiest girl but not too pretty you know so she's relatable <laughs> yes. yeah yeah, I, I like that you brought that up, though, because that is something that we talk about pretty frequently on the show is this idea of whose coming of age story do we get to tell? Um, because there's already issues in terms of coming of age stories for boys are considered just classic cinema. Coming of mm-hmm. age stories for girls are considered chick flicks. Mm-hmm. And then even within that, it's like, well, and we're only kind of telling one type of coming of age story for girls anyway. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot to kind of dive in and get your teeth on a little bit. Um, and Lady Bird is just one of those movies where, you know, you're, we, we were joking about this before the show that Lady Bird is not the first time that Beanie Feldstein or Saoirse Ronan have been on the show. And it's also <laughs> their first times on the show were not either of like the coming of age stories that they're known for. Oh yeah. Between uh, Hana and How to Build a Girl. Uh-huh, like, you, sure. You'd think it would have been Booksmart, another highly requested film or this, sure. but no. <laughs> nope. Sure. <laughs> we got to get them doing like weirdo stuff first before we can uh, yeah, go into the important. stuff they're known for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it honestly speaks well to them. I think so too. I mean, especially with uh, How to Build a Girl was just very recently. You know, that's a coming of age story where the main character's fat. And it's like, that's already doing more than what a lot of coming of age stories are willing to do yeah i mean i'm glad you brought up the fact that like you know when ladybird came out and it was in awards conversations it was kind of radical and like that's Mm -hmm. something that's hard to hold on to in your brain when you're like i mean i can just say in my brain because i'm like trying i i imagine a hollywood and a film industry that's so much different than the way it is that i Mm -hmm. sometimes have to remind myself or am reminded of like oh right like a girl coming of age story directed by a woman like being an oscar conversation is like a very unique thing that deserves celebration even as we push for more oh yeah absolutely it especially doesn't happen on this podcast very often (laughs) we we don't have a lot of oscar nominated films that we cover here (laughs) i believe that (laughs) yeah because young people in general are are like disregarded you know like Mm -hmm. there's all these layers to it yeah Definitely. And so while we're talking about kind of this like awards conversation, um, Harmony, what kind of context do you want to bring to the table in terms of what was going on when Lady Bird was released? So Lady Bird comes out in a bit of a dead zone for teen films where we are post the franchises of the late 2000s and early 2010s. So like Hunger Games is done, Twilight's done, all that's done. And 
now we're focusing on who knows. Like, this is a very strong year for horror films for the, in the teen franchise. Uh, our alum from this year include Tragedy Girls, The Babysitter, and Anna and the Apocalypse. And also, it came out this year, which did very, very well. But most teen films are pretty staunchly in the indie sphere outside of Pitch Perfect 3. So some of the the bigger releases you're going to get in 2017, which, I, I mean, this is also an indie film, but other other ones of its peers include, like, Call Me By Your Name, Thoroughbreds, Wonder, Everything Everything, uh, Beach Rats, Jasper Jones, The Outcasts, and plenty of other films that flew under the radar because this is the start of streaming. And, like, you're starting to see uh, indie films get a lot more... I don't know, reverence in higher audiences than they've gotten in, a, in quite some time because of streaming. But it's still a, a, a weird a weird spot where we haven't really fully backed indie films on streaming. So we're not quite to where we are. And Lady Bird's about to break down some doors for like female storytelling as being like critically acclaimed uh, in the coming years. And for teen films to have a bit more merit than they'd had. Because a, a, fun, a few fun statistics about Lady Bird is that... At the time of its release, it was the most fresh film in Rotten Tomatoes history. It still is the highest rated A24 film they've ever made. Uh, It's tied with Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, which are not the films you think of when you think of A24. But I I think it's kind of Ari Aster's fault. I don't want to fully blame Ari Aster, but I think like (laughs) The Witch establishes what people sort of think of when they think of an A24 film. And, like, that could be positive or derogatory, depending on who you ask. And then Hereditary makes it a pattern, and it just kind of carries on from there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that I think that's when you start to see, like, what an A24 film is, in big quotes, what it looks like, what it entails, what it's about. And this is the highest grossing A24 film ever released at the time. Um, it would get surpassed by Hereditary and then Everything Everywhere All at Once a few years after that. But, like, this was a big deal. There was a lot of hype around this film, which is really impressive considering what you think of in retrospect for this studio and for teen teen films in general at this time. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I always think of A24 as, like, having... I mean, I love horror, so there's I'm, I'm never going to be someone who's going to, like, disparage horror or place uh-huh. it as less than... And at the same time, I I sometimes I'm like, oh, like A24 releases a bunch of horror movies so they can then also release a bunch of like coming of age movies. Like, Mm because, you know, like Lady Bird, Moonlight, like American Honey, like those are a lot of the movies that I love most. And actually, I have some pretty like hot takes about some of A24's horror entries that I don't need to get into because it's quite off topic. But um, (laughs) I'm not the biggest Ari Aster fan here, just coming out to say that. Uh, but yeah, it is interesting to think about like what their brand has been like turned into. Which it's, it's so weird. It's, I don't think it's so much that like, this is the only thing they do, but it's that their high profile, uh, heavily talked about releases are stuff like Midsommar and Hereditary and, you know, outside of Ari Aster, like The Witch, where it's like, that's what you think of when you talk about like very well discussed A24 films and, all of my favorite entries from them are weirder things. Like they did Spring Breakers, they did right. The Bling Ring, they yeah. did Green Room. Like they have these stories about young people that are totally not necessarily horror films, but are like 
edgy and dark. And like, that's really more of what like their brand is, is it's like, it's gritty and it's real and it's honest. And maybe this isn't a gritty film in the form of like Lady Bird, but it's extremely honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I find Lady Bird to be such an interesting film to analyze, especially as a coming of age story, because something about it, maybe it's because it's A24, maybe it's because it's Greta Gerwig, who at this point was kind of like this indie cinema darling, um, that people were willing to take this film seriously because we've talked on the show plenty of times about movies that come before Lady Bird that take a similar coming of age approach where it is very serious, where it is very honest, where it's not, you know, the bubblegum pop, high Hollywood sheen of a coming of age story, but it didn't there was no attention to it, but there was mm-hmm. a lot of attention on this one. And, you know, we could dissect all of the the multitude of reasons why this story was platformed and why it was encouraged and promoted in ways that other coming-of-age stories are not. I think there's a lot of systemic issues at play. There's, you know, the, the myth of the auteur, the, the myth of A24 equals, you know, immediate high-quality art house, whatever you want to associate with it. But the fact that it was still considered must-watch cinema of that year is definitely something worth paying attention to and praising because we don't, like, it, it just kind of feels like it's like we were we were getting at the crumbs. We, they finally gave us a little bit of crumb of coming-of-age story, <laughs> and now we need to appreciate it. But luckily, it's at least quality crumb. Like, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also think... Again, holding like these two things at once that, yes, there are like all those systemic issues and all the reasons why this movie was able to be celebrated in a way that a movie with like, you know, equally impressive craft might not. But on the positive side of things, I also want to shout out the cinematography of the movie because I feel like it's something that isn't maybe like an obvious thing to talk about when it comes to a movie like this. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you've talked about this many times with a lot of the movies you cover. Um but, like, when I think of, like, great cinematography, Lady Bird is one of the movies that I think of and not some of these movies that are, you know, we think about the movies that, like, win Best Cinematography at the Oscars. And it's, like, it's, like, that classic thing of, like, the awards are the most this, not the best this. And, mm-hmm. I, like, the camera in Lady Bird is always where it needs to be. And just, like, everything. I mean, this is also an editing thing, too. Like, I just each scene is so supported by the craft of the film in a way that is subtle in a way that like doesn't necessarily call attention to itself but is just is just like shows shows an artist and artists behind the film that really care about movies and like really have studied film and i think it's certainly not the only reason why the movie was able to break through but i do think it's one of them or at least why when it broke through it's still you know, it still remains something that a lot of people, and myself included, love and revisit. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm I'm not uh, a person who can discern good directing or good cinematography, like, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not well read in that thing, but I kind of have a, I know it when I see it kind of approach mm-hmm. to it. it it's, it's, it, I love that you call it like, you know, subtle or, or like understated, it's understated. This creates a feeling even if you don't notice the cinematography where everything just feels like you're letting your mind drift off in how it's it's shot for a lot of mm-hmm. like the the environments like the sensation of like just letting your mind wander as you look out the window of a car while you're driving and not thinking about anything 
like there's there's a specific like vibe is a pretty ambiguous term that can mean anything but there's a vibe to to what this movie is establishing with its its camera and like also it's it's color choices yeah yeah i mean it makes me think of it makes me think of um I was going to say one of my favorite, but quite possibly my favorite TV show ever, Vita, which I feel like has similar cinematography, not in the sense that the like these two works are like shot similarly, but just in the sense where I'm like, it's always like the framing is just always where it should be. And the changes that are made scene by scene are like are done in this way that's subtle and so motivated by script, so motivated by character, so motivated by, yeah, like place. And, and this is obviously a movie that cares a lot about its setting. And so like it, it's just these are things that like get me so excited and I get very like nerdy about cinematography in this way where I'm just like (laughs) yes this is this is the conversations I wish we were having like I wish I don't know like even as a film writer that's something that I feel like I haven't done as much as I wish because maybe there's not as much of a space for it but I feel like when cinematography goes viral on Twitter it's like oh my god look at this shot that's like six minutes uninterrupted and like that stuff's impressive but like this kind of movie like gets me so excited because it's a very human way of using of using like the tools of filmmaking oh yeah I think it's I think the things that tend to go viral or get shared around a lot online when it comes to directing and cinematography are like the big flashy shots it's stuff that requires like a drone or a crane or like Uh these big elaborate set pieces but like Sometimes it's just good fundamentals. Like, mm-hmm. sure, like, if you watch someone dance, like, there's these big dance moves where you're watching people flip and do all these other things. But it's like, no, this is just good basic footwork. Mm-hmm. It's pristine, perfect, clean footwork. And there's that 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 is not something that most people will notice. And it's also not as easy to pull off as people would imagine because as we've seen with a lot of coming of age movies people that are trying to capture either a relationship with your family or a relationship with your friends your relationship with your hometown or even your relationship with yourself you're so right when you say that it feels like the camera is being motivated by the characters in the script because it always feels like the perspective is accurate I never feel like I'm looking in on the story of Ladybird, I feel like I'm being welcomed into the story mm-hmm. of Ladybird. Yeah. So, Drew, if you had to tell somebody, give like the elevator pitch on what Ladybird is about and why they should watch it, what would you say as like, this is why you need to check this out? This is when you learn that the main skill set as a filmmaker that I need to work on and get better at is pitching. Um, but I will, <laughs> I will give it, I will give it my best shot. Um, Usually when I talk about the movie, especially to people who haven't heard about it or even some people who like saw it like amid peak hype and are like, yeah, it was really good, but don't like quite get why I'm obsessed with it, um, is that I would say that it is a coming of age story about a teenage girl in Sacramento that feels like it's going to be about her romantic relationships, but it actually is about her friendship and then actually it's about her relationship to her mother and then actually it's about her relationship to her hometown and that is sort of the like it's about all those things at the same time but that to me is like sort of the journey of the film um in a way that feels really special that's beautiful and i think very accurate (laughs) so before we dive in any deeper into ladybird it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show Happy Pride Month, Prime Party. 
We have some very uh, festive things coming to the Patreon for you this month. For our City Hawkins Dance Teen Boy movies, we're covering two uh, very different movies about gay boys uh, in Pixar's Luca and <laughs> Party Monster. So we're covering quite the spectrum with those films this month. For our musical milestones, we're taking a trip back to the 2000s and discussing kind of embarrassing millennial pride anthems that haven't aged super well. Like, do you remember a time when Same Love by Macklemore and I Kissed a Girl were really triumphant and embraced by a lot of queer people? We're going to talk about those songs and others. And for our TV Homecoming episode, we are wrapping up Freaks and Geeks. Parting is such sweet sorrow as this show definitely did not deserve to go out the way it did. In addition to all of our full-length episodes, you are going to have a somehow slightly gayer than normal playlist, BJ's Wellness Newsletter, and access to the ever-popular Suggestion Box. We're pulling three films from it just for this month alone. If for any reason you're not able to financially support the podcast over on the Patreon this month, we totally understand. Just feel free to leave us a, a nice review, give us a, a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts, and share us with a friend if you think that they'll like what we do. With all that said, back to the movie. So to kick things off, I would love if we could talk about our our leading lady, our titular role, Christine Ladybird McPherson. Drew, how do you feel about Ladybird as a character? I love her. I get like again, there's these these things in my brain that are like, oh, like I understand why some people find her annoying, but I I mean, I can like bring in some like personal things now. I don't know if I don't know if there's like a structure and I should like save any sort oh, of Oh like, no, say whatever personal. you want. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um but like I didn't grow up in Sacramento, but I did grow up in California and in like a suburb of Los Angeles where, you know, once we were teenagers, like we could we could drive into the city, but it wasn't like an easy thing to do. Like I wasn't close. I the way I describe it is I grew up in a place called Oak Park, which is like Calabasas is Kardashians, Oxnard is farms, and Oak Park is in the middle, but closer to Calabasas. So people who live there wish they could live in Calabasas, which creates a very like toxic suburban environment mm, where people mm-hmm. worship money. Well, some people had quite a bit, but not. It's like a very squarely like middle class, upper middle class community. Um, where you're and, close enough to a place that you recognize how much money you don't have. Yeah. And a yeah. lot like when I remember when the like market crashed in 2008, was it? Um, mm-hmm. Like there were so many people who lost their homes who had been driving Porsches. And like it was like, oh, right. Like a lot of this is bullshit. A lot of the ways in which the people in my community presented themselves was fake. And so like growing up in that part of California I desperately wanted to get to New York I was like all I need to do is get to New York like the way that she talks about New York and the way that she talks about like you know those East Coast schools where it's like artsy um was me I was a hundred percent that and I just was like I need to get out of here and I need to be like where culture is um and so I like really recognize that sort of she has like a spirit to her that is so infectious and even if sometimes it's self-centered and some of the journey of the film is her having to like realize what's going on with other people um it it, there's something really empowering about watching someone 
who wants so much and who like has such deep desire i mean it sounds basic because like any basic screenwriting class would be like what is your character's wants but like to watch a character who wants with such like a deep passion i don't know it just reminds me of the teenage feelings that i had and i i just yeah i i adore her as a character harmony how about you no i i agree with all that and i i understand all that <laughs> but I, I, this isn't a but that sounds that sounds really dismissive <laughs> no please let's but it's a yes and <laughs> it's a yes and my failings on her is that she is very driven and she has all of this that you're saying but she's also like extremely mediocre and average in every way and yet she's like defiantly trying to be interesting and be mm. unique and doing all of these little flourishes like we talked about the little bit when we did our How to Build a Girl episode a few weeks ago where, you know, you put on a top hat and like a blazer and short shorts and fishnets and have this really loud outfit saying like, this is me. This is my persona. Ladybird is drifting around between like what her thing is and what her interest is just based on other people because she's trying not to be herself because she's kind of boring, or at the very least, she finds herself boring. Mm. And I think that's why she feels the way she does about Sacramento, because it's it's all you know. So you're used to it. So it's normal. So it's uninteresting. We talked about this a little bit also during our, our BAPS episode, um, which is this idea of when you are in your hometown or when you're in, you know, wherever it is that you stay in your most formative years, it is so hard to appreciate not just the the good things about where you're from, but how it has influenced you as a person. Like mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're almost resentful of the parts of ourselves that make us think, oh God, I am so like X person in my hometown or oh my God, I'm so much like my mother. Um, those sorts of things happen when you're a teenager. Like when I went to theater school, the first thing I did was lose my Chicago accent. I was like, I don't want to sound like this. I need to have long vowels and horror. Horror. (laughs) Got to get your backpack and go get, that's how I sound. And Harmony can attest to it that since we've moved out to Los Angeles and I'm away from Chicago, I'm away from just the Midwest in general. I have gotten so much more in, like I have fallen back in love with a lot of the places in the Midwest. And I think it's because one, I'm not in it, so I can idealize it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like it was way worse when it was like, oh, there are people threatening to kill me every day. Cool. Like that shit sucks. I don't miss that at all. But a lot of the parts about myself that I think I disliked or was resentful about, I've now grown to appreciate because out here, it's kind of what makes me special because not everybody talks that way or has those experiences or understands life like that. And so now I feel very protective and precious of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we're seeing with her character of like, she hates Sacramento. She doesn't want to, anything to do with it. She kind of wants to push that out of her life. And then when she finally does get out, the first thing she wants to do is find something that gives her like some sense of home. So, you know, she goes to a church, not because Mm -hmm. she's religious, but because it feels like home. And uh, there's something about that that just really resonates with me. Yeah. And I also like the idea that like, I think it's a really good point that she's mediocre, like that she is her most defining characteristic is that she wants to be interesting, not that she is like, that's a really interesting that in itself is very interesting about the movie and 
I think sums up a lot of teenagers, right? Like mm -hmm. th when I think about the things that made me interesting as a, as a teen, like we, maybe we do this in general in life, but especially when we're young, like we define ourselves by the things we like, by the things that we want, by the people mm -hmm. we're around. And I also think it's fun to watch. I mean, the movie kind of is in three parts, I would argue, like, like, you know, there's the Danny section, there's the Kyle section, and then there's, like, the New York epilogue. And those are very, like, depending on who she's dating and who she's interested in and also who her friends are, like, she is, she's herself the whole time. But, I mean, it's a major conflict that she is, a, becomes, like, a slightly different person to, you know, mm -hmm. her detriment and her friendship's detriment. Julie? Julie, hey. What do you want from Julie? Darlene, can you excuse us? Darlene, stay. Why aren't you in Algebra 2? I switched sections. Why? Aren't Jenna and Kyle enough? <laughs> I'm sorry that you're jealous. <laughs> Jenna is a moron, you know. She's not. She's in AP Calculus. She's a moron in a deeper sense. You don't even know her. Miss Patty assigned you a role, by the way. You just never showed up to claim it. What role? The Tempest. There is no role of the Tempest. It is the titular role. No, it's a made-up thing, so we all can participate. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention, can you? Yeah, well, you know your mom's tits, they're fake, totally fake. She made one bad decision at 19. Two bad decisions. There's such an honesty about showing that that is a thing that I think so many teenagers do when we're on our, like, selfish path to self-discovery that mm -hmm. there. I think there's always going to be those innate parts of your personality that are not going to go away no matter what. Like she is always going to be mouthy. Um, mm -hmm. She's always going to have that defiant streak, but yeah, when she's dating Danny, you know, she's kind of got the, the theater kid thing going on when mm -hmm. she's hanging out with Kyle. It's like, Oh, well now I'm like cool and aloof and I work at a coffee shop and you know, <laughs> now I'm going to wear like these really cool sweaters with like understated patterns on them. <laughs> like, you know, the, that's a thing that happens. Like it's like this weird assimilation thing that I think people do. And what I like about her being mediocre is that she just is mediocre. It doesn't feel like we've intentionally made her, you know, the, the Bella Swan shell character, as mm -hmm. I like to call her, um, where it's like, we've given her no discernible traits <laughs> so that anybody can be her. Like, Lady Bird has plenty of discernible traits. They just are average. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I love that so much because oh, yeah. it feels it's, real. Especially because teen films, like, they want you to have, be like, she's the every girl. Like, every teen movie is, like, trying, especially, like, of an older brand like say the the john hughes school of teen movie is like no she's just like you she's relatable she's the girl next door this is who you are all of the cool edgy ones those are the best friend characters but like <laughs> this character she's just she's just that that's all she is and i think that the idea of trying to write like uh, a relatable common every girl character is like so deliberate but no, she has, she, you're right. She has way more personality. She has way more character. And those are probably the things that people will go out of their way to say like, well, she's unlikable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think though the, the real triumph of the movie is the decision not to stay in her perspective at all times. Like I think mm -hmm. because she's at an age where she's not, I mean, the, the journey of the film is her learning to appreciate Sacramento and this place that she comes from and her mother and all these things. And so we get, glimpses before she's able to have those glimpses and I mean even just small things like 
I know the script so well. I literally was like, you know, when her dad's like, you know, toothpaste is like sucking on a mint. And then like her dad and mom talk about like a friend of theirs who has died at, at a pretty young age. And like, like that moment or when the mom is at work and you see the sort of the way that she is so warm towards her coworker and like I, I don't know and like I just I, I find those moments to really be what makes the film no, I think that's a really important part of this movie where it, it, if you went for a teen film like it's almost always told exclusively through the teen's perspective but since this is about primarily like Lady Bird and her mother, it's kind of having a little more of an even keeled thing without it going so far as being like, it's the giving tree. Feel bad. Call your mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, I we have to talk about Marion. Laurie Metcalf, oh my God, this performance. I'm obsessed with her because she represents everything that I love about my mother and everything that makes me want to like scream about my mother mm-hmm. and the way she is so effortlessly delivers just that nature of so many moms. I don't want to say all moms, but like so many moms are like this where you are constantly in a state of like having these deep, wonderful, emotional connections and then hating her more than anyone you've ever talked to in your (laughs) life because you're so frustrated. She like, like Saoirse Ronan is fantastic. Beanie Felsen is fantastic. Everybody in this movie is fantastic. Laurie, Metcalf is on like another level for me in this where I like I cannot imagine anyone else in this role like it's impossible for me not to go back to talking about awards because I know that's very boring but this is the like Oscar snub that she lost to Alison Janney um it's the Oscar snub that makes me most upset that isn't based that has no like identity aspects to it like there's plenty of times where I'm like okay this is clearly like racism or sexism leading to this winning and not that like this is I think the one where I'm just like nope it's just two older white ladies fighting against each other and like I'm still so mad that she didn't win I think it's like just a remarkable performance it like there's just there's so many moments where her face just like kills me and she makes this character like yes the writing's incredible but she really makes this character Okay, sidebar. It's, it's what amazing. did Allison Janney win for? Was that Itanya? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we are a super pro Allison Janney podcast. I think she's sure. appeared on the show more than anybody else she we've is, ever and covered. She, I don't know if anyone's going to catch her. Someone <laughs> she's will in eventually. so many teen movies, like as <laughs> random adults. Yeah, uh, surely someone will catch her eventually. But like right now, she has been the front runner for like two of some years. No, she didn't deserve that when you stack these two performances against right. each other. Right, like, though. I love her, too. It's And it's it's a thing that always happens. I'm sure Laurie Metcalf will win an Oscar in three years for something where she's, I don't know, in some, like, biopic or whatever. Like, it's just... It'll be a period award. piece. Yeah, it's the way the awards, it's the way awards are. But, like, I, I just think Laurie Metcalf is so good in this. And, yeah, mm-hmm. she completely reminds me of my mom. And I think it's so funny that my mom does not like Lady Bird because she said I just don't understand why the mom was so mean to her daughter and it was oh I was no like, I was like um, <laughs> hmm, this is fascinating um but I actually saw I saw Ladybird for the first time an hour before I saw my mom in person for the first time after having come out to her over the phone a month earlier which I'm sure adds to my deep attachment to this film. Um, (laughs) Because I came out in like early 2017 and 
my parents were pretty much the last people I came out to, um, other than like, you know, the internet, cause they could see that. Um, so yeah, it was like, I came out to them in October of 2017 and this came out in November of 2017. And I saw it in the morning before I was living in New York at the time. And like my parents were in town. Um, and I like saw the movie sobbed and then went and and saw them for the first time like wearing some like cheap tight cotton dress that uh, you know I was, it was I had not been out for a year I was still finding my fashion but it was like <laughs> growing pains yeah yeah so like the the layers of you know I, I'm not I'm not gonna get into too many details but like I had a complicated relationship with my mom as a teenager but it was framed i mean i even remember my dad saying after seeing ladybird and i was talking to him about it where he was like i was talking about how much i related to it and he was like huh i just was thinking about like your mom and sister and how like you guys had uh, how they had such a similar relationship to this and it like very much stung and i was like no you're not getting that like the way our relationship was was like a teen girl's relationship with her mom even if like neither of us knew about it yeah uh I can't imagine. I'm like processing <laughs> the, the, that thought right now. I'm like, whoa, what a what a heavy watch that would have been in that yeah, in that very was... specific scenario. <laughs> and I was living in New York. Like, I mean, I really, I did. I don't know how much all college dorms look the same, but like that, I went to NYU and that looked like an NYU dorm. And also, it was like all I wanted to do was to get to NYU. And my parents made it very clear that the only way that I could go is if I got a scholarship and it was like NYU doesn't really give scholarships. And then I got this scholarship actually because of um, queer activist work I was doing, even though I thought I was cis and straight. So that's just a fun little fun little <laughs> sidebar there. Um, just an ally. Yeah, just I was like the best ally of all time so much so that I got to go to NYU. Um, and like I had I had made it there and it was such a feeling of like, I mean, I still get so giddy at the music cue and cut from the very emotional moment of like Marion realizing how much she's fucked up by not getting out of the car and like, you know, mm-hmm. walking up to the airport with Ladybird and instead drives around and then like runs up to and then you know, um Ladybird's dad is like is like she'll be back she'll be back and it's like this heavy moment of like these parents letting their child go and it's so emotional and so sad and then like the music is like cuts to like the plane taking off and it's like this exciting music and you're like back in Lady Bird's perspective where it's like she's free she's getting to New York like her dreams are coming true she's getting to like go to these shitty parties and drink too much and like wear this striped sweater and blazer and like be this person who she wanted to be and I still get like I I, like flashback to when I first got to New York for college and just like that (laughs) excitement before I realized all the things that are wrong with NYU as an institution and um then New York I mean I I still have a lot of love for New York and I still kind of I mean I lived there for seven years so I don't romanticize it the way I did as a teenager but like I don't know. It's a pretty special place. Lady Bird's not wrong about that. I think she's going to have a great time. <laughs> yeah. I'm speaking of that that ending of her not getting out of the car. I love that when she does make it back around to the airport and she goes in there that she does miss her because right? I feel like in any other movie she would have been standing there and have been like, "Oh, my mom got me before I went to baggage claim or drop off or whatever and Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen she's like nope tracy Mm -hmm. let's that's all you get and there's something so 
I think, real about that because the other way is just what happens in movies. Like, airports don't work like that. Like, no. well, especially because this is 2002. So it's <laughs> yeah. like post 9 yes. 11, you are not walking all the way to you the ain't gate going with her. Anywhere. And we, oh, I, I love that it's a 2000s movie so much. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Because I think that's, that's actually. You know, speaking of Beanie Feldstein and, and Booksmart, like my biggest issue with Booksmart is it's like complete lack of setting and place. Like it, it, mm-hmm. you know, the actors are fun. It's a fun movie. Like I don't, I'm not a total hater, but like, you know, like the karaoke songs they sing, it's very much made by a Gen Xer about teens today and doesn't really quite have a grasp mm-hmm. on it. And I love when coming of age movies are placed like in a very specific setting like I like the coming of age movie that I've written that's like my dream film to get to make someday is like a 2010 period piece like I, and it's just very important to me because I'm like I don't know what a teen is like now and that that's okay for a certain type of teen movie for sure mm-hmm. where it's not really about and maybe book smarts a little bit you know it's obviously a little bit more heightened than like this kind of movie so I get the decision but like I love when a movie especially when it's a more grounded film like this is very specifically placed yeah. I, yes. Oh my God. I I have a script that's in like production hell, and it will be there forever. That is set with scene kids, and it's like this is a very specific yeah. experience that people had, and it's never gets shown. Like no one ever makes it this specific thing because, you know, teen teen movies are unintentional time capsules of mm-hmm. not just the time in which they came out because they're trying to talk about what's cool at that time. They're using the language that that's cool at that time, which is fascinating from like a historical aspect because it's like you want to know how people were acting in this time period watch a teen movie um Mm. because that's going to be your most authentic look at it um but you're totally right when they do then try to make it sort of ageless or whatever like i have a love-hate relationship with the 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 thematic part of easy a and the fact that she's obsessed with john hughes movies and like there's just constant like references to 80s movies where i'm like she should be referencing '90s movies based on her age, but sure, let's just go with it. Um. <laughs> I don't know, man. I like I loved '80s movies when I was that age. But You're like, also an old that, head. Yeah, but like, right, right. Like, I I've had people say that to me when I've complained about this and other things. So they're like, "But you, all you do is love like old movies and old music, and like that was such a defining part of you as a teenager." And I was like, "Yes, it was a defining part of me." The same way that like Lady Bird is defining herself by all these things, and like mm-hmm. that if it's in the movie that way, if it's like, "Oh yeah, she's obsessed with John Hughes movies," and her friends are like, "What? Like, why are you watching this old movie?" Like, okay, I mean, not that it obviously doesn't have to be that blunt, but like if it's if it feels in universe, like it is a unique quality to that person. But if it's just like, "Yep, all teens of today love Alanis Morissette," it's like. Do, do they or does Olivia Wilde? Right. And it's like that's fine. Like it's fine. It's not a big deal. But like the the two thousand two ness of Lady Bird from the music to just like the constant talk of the war and like it it's so I don't know. It just it really makes the movie so excellent to me. The oh, the yeah. start of the moral panic too of like the public school moral panic is something that speaks very deeply to me because I went Mm -hmm. to the quote unquote dangerous public school. (laughs) So like so many of my friends that I like went to junior high school with, they were like, oh, we're going to this Catholic school in Wisconsin now. And I'm like, why aren't you going to our school? And they're like, um, people get beat up and do drugs there. And I'm like, they do drugs at your school. Our drugs are just cheaper. Like, (laughs) like, what are you talking about? Have fun doing Coke, I guess. Yeah, you're going to get introduced to Coke. I'm going to steal Robitussin from Walgreens. (laughs) (laughs) 
our experiences are not the same. <laughs> right. But like, also, I love thinking about this as like a, the period piece that it is because think about 2002. They didn't reference the war. Teen movies during the 2000s didn't talk about that unless right. it was a film that was specifically about it. And that only came into like the mid to late 2000s. Honestly, yeah. like the trend that I noticed that I don't have a good list in front of me is like during that time of like 2001, 2002, 2003, teen films went international. That's, That's where you true. started seeing like fucking Lizzie McGuire goes to Rome. Oh. What a girl wants. She's over in England. That's where they started like sending them other places. So we didn't have to think about like American politics. Wait, what's the Piper Perbo movie where she's like French, but she's actually from Texas. Do you know what I'm talking oh. about? Oh my God. What the hell is this? I movie wish called? I knew. Okay. Wait, I'm, can I take a yes. pause? Please enjoy the music while your party is reached. Oh, slap her, she's French. <laughs> yes. yes. I have never heard of that one. I highly recommend watching. I mean, it's not a good movie, but it is a great one, you know? Yeah. So, like, I feel like that was, like, the weird experience of teendom during here where we just didn't acknowledge the war, even though it's all anybody ever talked about, which mm -hmm. is why this is such a more honest portrayal of what that year looked like for teendom. It yeah. really, really is because, you know, again, 1999 is the year of the teen movie. There were so many of them. And then Columbine happened. And then it was like, uh, we have to be really careful with how we present teens on screen. And then right after that, 9-11 happens. And it's like, uh, we need to be very careful with how we talk about this. We don't want to make people sad. So, yeah, you're totally right. It did just <laughs> everything went international and... Yeah, Lady Bird's such a better time capsule of 2002. Oh, man. Especially for uncool kids who like the Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Let's talk about the music of Lady Bird because if people out there have not read the letters that Greta Gerwig wrote to the artist to get the permission to use the music in this movie, I highly recommend it. I will put the links to them in the show notes. I especially love her letter to Justin Timberlake, which... You know, Justin Timberlake is his own conversation. But when she <laughs> she messaged him and was like, I want to use sexy back because it is the song that represents the confidence of like a cool teen boy in the way that only cool teen boys can have that confidence. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she gets it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Justin Timberlake, Dave Matthews Band, um, Stephen Sondheim, you know, Ugh, that, Sondheim. Th we're talking my teen experience here. Yeah. <laughs> Was Cry Me a River in this one too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, just Timbaland. I miss classic 2000s Timbaland <laughs> because dude had the best hits. <laughs> he really did. So with the, with, the, with the Dave Matthews Band, there is so much to be said about when you really like a song, when you and your friend like a song, and then you find out that the cool kids don't think that that song is cool. Um, I love that that scene exists. And I like that that is kind of the mark of her finally being defiant against the popular crowd and sticking up for herself, which is like, I love this song. Yeah. It's like, oh, I mm -hmm. love that for you. Because I know, I feel like maybe it's universal, maybe not. But I used to stifle like my love of horror or my love of like weirdo cinema because no one else outside of like my best friend liked that stuff too so I was like oh I know that I'm weird if I talk about this so I'm just gonna sit here and be like uh -huh, yeah I horror love movies that you are... are just schlock uh -huh. <laughs> I love that you were filing away horror films and Dave Matthews in the same category <laughs> it's real though like I mean I remember like in my friend group in middle school and like ninth grade were very sort of like 
I don't know. I was going to say mainstream, but that like, makes me sound like I'm the judgmental one, which maybe I am. But, you know, I wasn't like when I would talk about the movies I loved, it was a lot of like snickering and making fun of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have deep wounds from trying to have a Vertigo birthday party, which was just a birthday party where we watched Vertigo. And Oh, my God. I would have been there in a heartbeat. <laughs> everyone was talking. We didn't even make it through five minutes. I was so sad. Um, but apparently sixth graders don't like Albert Hitchcock. So what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> but then I met like like the one friend I still have from high school who is like my best friend. Like they were wearing a Bob Dylan shirt and I was wearing an Ingmar Bergman shirt that I had designed myself and we were like nice shirt nice shirt and then we became friends unfortunately with music i think i was one of the people who was part of the problem like i was a real snob around i didn't i I mean some of it's attached to gender like i wouldn't let myself listen to pop music until really until i got to college and so i was like ugh, pop music is so you know the anything anything mainstream is like so bad and whatever and i really deprived myself of a lot so unfortunately i didn't go through my character arc with music until college but it was very meaningful when i did because i was missing out on all the best stuff yeah no i i I get that like i don't know i was i was a classic rocker so i liked classic rock music in high school because i was cool like that someone on this podcast wore a slash hat in their senior photos i mean it's just called a top hat but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like I, I liked cool stuff where I'm like, yeah, like one of my favorite bands is Motorhead and I love Guns N' Roses. What about it? But also, I don't know. I I like Yellow by by Coldplay. Like I liked Somewhere Only We Know by Keen. Like real middle of the road, yeah. soft kind of alt rock. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think that that's wonderful. But like it's totally that thing where it's a, it's a little too middle of the road. It's a little too uncool like it's like saying that like i don't know i think rob thomas is a really underrated songwriter it's like no one's saying that (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that she gets timmy chalamet as like her ultimate like alt soft art boy oh he's the worst like every (laughs) the thing that i think is so brilliant about this script and everything about this movie is that as an adult I look at Timothy Chalamet's character and I'm like, oh, I, I want to punch you in the teeth. Like, I can't stand you, you pretentious little fuck. But then I sit back and I'm like, no, no, no. High school age me, who was yeah. desperately being hypersexual to try to convince myself I was not a huge gay, uh, would have absolutely been into him and been like, he sings in a band at a coffee shop. And a band he... called L'Enfance New. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like... Culture. He, he wants to go off the grid and he thinks cell phones are dangerous. Oh my God, he's so refined. Like, I would have been, my dumbass would have been so into him be, just because you don't talk like anyone at school. Uh-huh. God, so foolish. How, how foolish we all are. I also love that we get like a little bit, it's like, it's almost like I could see someone feeling like it's done, it's too easy, but it feels like it's done in a way that's, I don't know, I think it's done well. So it doesn't bother me. Of like, having a little bit of knowledge about like his dad being sick. I just like that everyone in this movie has, I mean, I guess except Jenna Walton, cause she just goes to pavilions um, that like <laughs> everyone else like has like a little bit of nuance, like a little bit more just like flashes into their life that are like, Oh, okay. I see that you are still a person going through mm-hmm. your life, doing person things, even if, even if, yeah, he is so insufferable. Oh gosh! Like, 
Especially because, okay, I first saw uh, Lady Bird when it first came to streaming, but I was at work and I was like, oh, throw it in the background. People say this movie's funny. This is not a background movie. This is a you pay attention to this movie movie. Otherwise, you go, why are they fighting all the time? Why is this not fun at all? Like, it's really sad. <laughs> um, but then I rewatched it, like, in the last couple of years for the first proper time. And. I remember watching this with BJ and she and I'm like I don't understand everyone's obsession with Timothy Chalamet and BJ goes this is the movie that made him like end up on everyone's radar and I'm just sitting there going why why <laughs> he's the worst I it's, fucking hate him because this year we get this and Call Me by Your Name in the same year so it's yeah. just like Timothy Chalamet is here um, but this is the the performance that I saw with him first and I was like oh no I get it like like he's very good and yeah he like it's proper heat from me but like <laughs> I'm not saying he's doing a bad job I hate him for the right reasons but like this is the one that makes everyone go oh this mm, all right mm. I spent so much time as a teenager with guys like this and i think maybe that's why like harmony definitely called me out because after they sleep together for the first time and she yells like who has their first time on top i didn't respond to that joke and then harmony goes oh my god you lost yours on top didn't you and i'm like yeah yeah i did i really did and it was with a guy kind of like this It would be. The, the things you do when you're like, I can't be gay. That's not real. I didn't hate this experience. That must mean I'm not gay. It's so dumb. So fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> but this is, you know, Kyle's not her her first boyfriend. Her first boyfriend, or at least in the movie, is Lucas Hedges. Oh, Danny. <laughs> Breaks my heart. I love him so much. I love Lucas Hedges like more than I probably love any. Like I try not to have parasocial relationships with like celebrities because it's just it makes especially when they're younger than me I like feel weird about it but I feel so protective of Lucas Hedges as an actor Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he keeps playing these like so tormented (laughs) gay roles I know so when we you know when we meet him and she's obviously transfixed by him because he's the theater boy and like as a theater kid I get that I get the fixation on the theater boy even though they tend to be gay as we learn he is gay (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he's from this like huge irish catholic family so when it does come out that he's gay like the first instinct that i have is not oh no he lied to her it's oh my god please protect this poor boy (laughs) i know yeah i mean three i i'm aware how crazy the sentence is about to be but three of my favorite moments in this movie i'm just gonna go down the line of all have to do with danny the first one is like his audition where he's singing giants in the sky and just like <laughs> the way that Sir Ronan like puts her hand on her chest and is like so overwhelmed with this like really innocent crush like so mm-hmm. captures what like that half of the movie is gonna be um and then the the dance and like their first kiss and when she's like screaming in the street and is so excited and then gets mm-hmm. home and her parents are fighting about money and like that whole that whole shift like sums up being a teenager to me so well of just like your entire world is whether like you're going to kiss the person you want to kiss and Mm -hmm. and again we get to see them fighting the parents fighting like like discussing money before before labor gets home and you even we're still with them when she walks in the door and and marion's clearly upset about something else and then um what's it i don't remember her dad's name and then ladybird's dad is like larry um larry is like is like just just wait like just like leave it and then like they get into this big fight right and like mm-hmm. I, it's so oh it's just so perfect i just i feel like that is that is being a teenager like actually who you kiss isn't the most important thing to 
your parents and there's no way to understand why um and then the last and then the third moment that i love is when he goes to the coffee shop and um little plastic castle is playing and he cries and's like please don't tell anyone and it's just oh it just kills me mm-hmm. and the way that in the way that like it cuts to the again like talking about the editing and the cinematography like that that breakdown and hug happens in a wide shot is like mm-hmm. so makes him just feel so small in her arms and it's just oh it's so good and it has the line where he's like i don't find your mother warm and she's like she's yeah she is and he's like no but she's scary and she's like and, and like whatever it is where it's like I, people can't be warm and scary and he's like yeah your mom is and i'm like yes that is i can't i just that's that's like that's my mom like yes everything with marion is my mom but that description i'm just like oh that's such a perfect description <laughs> oh gosh I, I i i agree with that and i think that that's such an interesting discussion to talk about when it comes to parents because where where this movie doesn't hit me quite like i understand this movie and i think it's super duper good but where it doesn't hit me on like the exact emotional level that i think everyone else does is that I think that you need to have a certain relationship with your mother or have a family dynamic like this that resonates for it to cross that threshold into this next level, like perfect film. And my family doesn't do that. My family only yells when they're drinking and they're usually so it's it's someone who got drunk when they shouldn't have. And now everyone's mad about it, even though they would all rather be drinking as well. Mm -hmm. So otherwise, everyone's sitting in silence. So they're not scary unless they're mad at each other for things. Oh, but they're also not warm. <laughs> so like my specific like upbringing has no, like I don't recognize this at all. And that's, I think, a very fascinating thing to think about because that when they're at the thrift store and they're looking for the dress for prom, mm-hmm. uh, BJ goes, uh, or no, no, it's not not prom. I think it's Thanksgiving where mm-hmm. they hold up the dress at the thrift store and they're fighting. And then immediately Lady Bird goes, oh, no, I love that one. Yeah. BJ goes, that's my mom. That's that's exactly the feelings of that we had growing up was that debt distilled is my mom. And I don't have a single point in this at all where I go, that's my mom. <laughs> that's an interesting thing about coming of age movies in general. I think even more so. I mean, I think movies in general, it's like that people have specific emotional attachments to things or see yeah. something at a certain time. And like, obviously, but I think especially with coming of age movies like the ones that that you're like oh that's how I was or that's what my family dynamic was like I mean I think that's part of why I do think the cinematography is better but I think that's part of why like I totally understood the ladybird hype but the eighth grade hype I was like this is a really good movie like I perfectly liked it but like it I, I haven't revisited it a bunch of times and like it's not something that like sticks with me and mm-hmm. some of that is just personal attachment that like I do think that in high school I was very much a mix of Ladybird and Danny and mm-hmm. like with like maybe you know with some Julie as well so like those three characters like really sum up who I was as a teenager and also like the family dynamic of like my dad is a really sweet lovely guy um but definitely in our family got to like play the nice guy in ways that as an adult I'm more aware of and able to recognize um and my parents did like fight about money a lot when I was a kid and like these things there's just yeah there there are these things that are really personal and and it's hard to it's hard to like even no matter how good a movie is like you can't make up that intensity Mm -hmm. of attachment 
Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I'm not asking for it to, like, relate to me. Like, honestly, in terms of diversifying, like, the teen girl experience, I want to see more stuff that I don't personally relate to. But, like, when people discuss this film, they generally discuss the, like, mom-daughter dynamic in a way where that's the central focus of the discussion, typically. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's good, and I like that we get more of these feelings, especially when they have such significant resonance with so many people, evidently. Um I don't know. I I guess I'll just say that I maybe it just said maybe this gives me a weird complex about my specific gender, <laughs> but like I relate way more to a goofy movie. <laughs> I like sure. a I like a relating to dad story maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the one aspect of this that definitely doesn't relate to me is the dad because I so one I'm obsessed with Tracy Letts. I mean Chicago forever. Oh. Um I think he's so incredible, but that is not my dad. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people were like, yeah, I had this kind of like overbearing mother and like a very like soft and sweet father. I'm an Italian. Like my dad is Joe <laughs> Pesci. He is loud. He is he is short. Everything is sounds like an accusation even when it's not. It's like, how you doing today? And it's like, what did I do? <laughs> like, Chill out, man. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I had like double ladybird parents because both of them would have been like, what you're being such a snot like to my yeah. face and it's like yeah. oh yeah you're right i probably mm-hmm. am um but i think that the the dynamics of the family are so well defined in this because we do get the moment like a lot of teen movies don't do this where we get the the mother daughter moments but we also get the father daughter moments and the the discussion of the mother daughter relationship with the father daughter like that never mm-hmm. happens in movies it's usually yeah. like one of the parents is absent or one of them is just not really paying attention but like he's actively participating and trying to play mediator a lot of times which i think is yeah. Like, that's more authentic to real life than it is movie. Like, so much of Lady Bird plays with what we see as, like, conventions in teen movies, but it presents them in ways that don't feel like a movie. It feels like reality. And I just think that's really good. And the same thing happens with Julie, who we've not really talked about yet. But I love Beanie Feldstein as Julie. I love... I have such a a warm feeling for the character that is like the ride or die friend that you've had forever that, you know, you, you, she's not necessarily like a million freaks and geeks because she's nowhere near as goody goody, but like Mm -hmm. that kind of ride or die friend who was always in your corner, even when you're being an asshole and they will be mad at you. But at the end of the day, like they will still be there for you. She's such a great one. And I love that, you know, the, the, the little backstory of like, she has like the smoking hot mom who has like a bunch of boyfriends, like such a great, like little piece there. And when you see where she lives, like she also lives in like a small apartment, um, you know, where Lady Bird jokes that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks all the time. Like there is such a camaraderie that is built, especially in high school, especially in like Catholic school. So like I didn't go to Catholic school, but I had a lot of friends who did. And because they're like, oh, well, everyone's in a uniform. So therefore you can't make fun of each other. No, you find ways to make fun of each (laughs) other. And class is always like the first one right behind racism. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, they're, they're going to find each other and like be with each other because they don't fit in with everyone else at school. And they also, they just get each other. They're on a different wavelength. And when you find that friend, like, that's just... That's the realist, is finding that friend. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it's interesting that the image that I have in this movie, like whenever I think of it, is the specific shot of Saoirse Ronan and Beanie Feldstein just standing next to each other. 
Like that that mm-hmm. that's that's the specific screenshot. Mm. Beanie's not in like half this movie. She like disappears halfway through and doesn't come back until like the end. Which I think yeah. is also like a very kind of a very high school thing where like when you get fixated on something, like that becomes your world for a little bit. Oh yeah. And for Ladybird, like it's these boys and you know, trying to make friends with Jenna and you know, figuring yourself out where yeah. Julie kind of takes a back seat. Julie's hanging out with Catherine Newton in big glasses. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, she's so little in this movie too. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just great. But like, I mean, that is the the, the central thesis of this movie, isn't it? Just attention. The people that you care the most about is like the people you give the most attention to. Um, I, I think of, again, this is my fucking thing with dads. Like, I don't have issues with my dad. Like, it feels like I have issues with my dad, but I don't. But this is the thing of, like, Scrubs where um, there's an episode where JD particularly fucks up and Dr. Cox won't yell at him anymore because he stopped caring. So now he just treats him, like, completely professional and just moves on. And, like, that's what hurts more. Like, that I, – I understand that feeling, but, like, it's this movie where – you can still yell at someone because you're paying attention. You care, and that's why you're mad at, you know, your daughter because she's – we don't have money, goddammit. Like, there's yeah. there's a million reasons you could be mad and upset, but, like, you're paying attention, and the fact that you're so upset about this means that you have at least some investment and you're caring. So Lady Bird is just like, oh, no, I'm really obsessed with this boy, and he's interested in me, but oops, he's gay. So there's a, there's a hold up there. And just – Timothy Chalamet is just not reciprocating at all because he's too cool to care. And yet she is just transfixed with these arts boys. <laughs> what she did was very baller. It was very anarchist. Yeah, fuck him. Don't worry, I'm not going to snitch on you. Well, I hope not because I'd fucking kill your family. <laughs> what? Sorry, I, that, that was an exaggeration. It's okay. My dad has cancer, so... I guess God's doing that for us. Oh, I'm sorry. You work at New Helvetia, right? Right. Can I get your number? We were looking to set up some more gigs down there. Definitely. It's my parents' number. You don't have a cell phone? Nah. Good girl. Government didn't have to put tracking devices on us. We bought them and put them on ourselves. I don't own a tracking device. No, no, no. The cell phone. See? Wow. Yeah, I know. I mean, you'll have one eventually. Everyone's going to have one. And then it'll be a matter of time. Before what? Before they put them in our brains. (laughs) I guess it's just, it's an interesting thing of seeing where your priorities are stacked throughout the entire movie and the people you're willing to spend the most time around or the people you're willing to talk to the most. And I don't know, it's just not a, it's not a topic that you see addressed quite so vividly and then addressed quite literally when talking about like Sacramento itself with that one nun who they uh they vandalize her car and she thinks it's the bee's knees yeah I mean also supporting cat I mean I want to actually stay on Julie but like uh Lois Smith and like Stephen McKinley Henderson like these theater legends like mm-hmm. acting legends just doing so much with their small parts like oh they're so good um I also that's something I really like about the Ladybird Julie friendship is the like the subtle ways that Ladybird is like awful to Julie and mm-hmm. maybe not so subtle. Like even even when Julie gets the part, like her first reaction is being like, but I was the one who wore the dress. And like it's so I don't know. Like as much as I 
love Ladybird's spirit and like relate to that and uh, probably aspired to be that in in high school like that was definitely my friendship role was the Julie it was definitely like it took a long time for me to realize like oh friends are happy when good things happen to you like mm-hmm. you're, they're not they're not rooting against you and ultimately I think that's also why I'm more forgiving of the perspective of the movie like I I like that I like Ladybird's imperfections. I like mm-hmm. I like that there's even a moment where she's racist towards her brother. Like I, yeah. it's it's yeah. like it's a risky choice because, you know, I think if the movie like has a fault, it's definitely that there's a limit of perspective and like definitely the characters of color are just like sort of off to the side and the least developed. But it's also Greta Gerwig's perspective and like I don't want her to be doing I what I ultimately want is a bunch of coming of age movies from a bunch of people that feel really personal to those people. I don't want like Greta Gerwig trying to like tell, you know, a bunch of other people's stories. But mm-hmm. I do appreciate that inclusion of that moment of like of highlighting the ways in which Ladybird you know, is racist, is fat phobic, like is just self-centered and like not, and is so fixated on the fact that like, she doesn't have the money that like Jenna has, that she's not able to recognize the things that she does have. And that comes from a place of like, you know, appreciating her mom and appreciating Sacramento. And it also comes from a place of like reckoning with privilege. And I, I do Mm -hmm. appreciate that the movie feels aware of that, even Mm -hmm. if, Ladybird's still our focus and I think it makes me more willing to to like go along with the story because I, I agree that like I'm not necessarily looking for like relatability in the art I watch and read and etc like I love I love experiencing stories about people who have different experiences than me mm-hmm. I think I can be harsher on work where I'm like but I've seen this specific experience a million times mm-hmm. like what are you what are you bringing here that's new um and i think what this brings it's just like it's so specific that i would i don't i mean i certainly have friends who like don't like ladybird or don't really get it because they're like i don't care about this like cis straight white girl and i'm like that's totally fine but i think mm-hmm. the reason why for a lot of us it still works is because like it is about ladybird there's not an assumption i, I like that we talked about the ways in which she's specifically unspectacular as opposed to just being like an empty vessel like a Mm -hmm. you know you think of like a boyhood situation where it's like Mm -hmm. we are supposed to care about that boy because he is a boy and he is Richard Linklater and Richard Linklater is like we love this boy because he is me and we don't need to know anything about him in a way that's interesting and like I I think there is something really special about how specific the movie's willing to get with pretty much all the characters but like with Ladybird specifically even though she's once again not that special yeah. I mean, it's it feels so much like the whole movie is about unconditional love and the forms that it takes because mm-hmm. she is she's difficult. That's that's her whole thing. Like, I mean, teen girls in general, like BJ, y'all are fucking monsters, right? Yes. OK, <laughs> so like teen girls are difficult. Teen boys are difficult in completely different ways when they're growing up. But like they're both difficult. But I think that the way that like even though mom is extremely overbearing but not to you know the cliche caricature of the overbearing mother trope you know she's specifically overbearing the way that ladybird is a problem in really specific ways and yet there's still love between these characters 
and I love to see that. Like, that's where my, like, unconditional love comes in, where I accept the bad things, but, like, I still love you because I love how much you love each other by the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And something, too, on that that I think is, is, like, a weird, almost dicey territory to get into is I do know a lot of people who hate this movie because they hate the way Marion talks to Lady Bird, and... I don't know if it's just because this is something that I can identify with, but the way she communicates with her, yes, is like very aggressive and kind of abrasive and is definitely not the hashtag gentle parenting sort of (laughs) way of communication. But Mm -hmm. like to me, like this speaks to me, like if a parent was trying to be like, you know, well, Ladybird, you're being really dismissive of everything that we've given you here in Sacramento, and I understand why you'd want to go to New York City, but I hope that you know that it's really harmful to me as your mother, who has tried my my hardest to give you everything, to hear you be so dismissive. Like, that doesn't, like, register in my brain, like, my eyes glazed over in the middle right. of trying to improv that. <laughs> but, like, a mom that's like, you're being a little brat, or, like, okay, cool, you want to do that? Sure, you can do that, and then you can go to jail. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is how, <laughs> like, that is how love feels for me, and that's not to say, like, this is where I get, like, these weird places when people are like, love shouldn't hurt, and it's like, well, yeah, domestic violence is a fucking problem, but, like, sometimes people call you on your shit, and, like, that is an expression of love, is calling mm-hmm. you on your shit, and that, to me, is love. Like, what is the thing as, like, your meanest to the people you care about, or whatever yeah. that psychological study is? Like, whenever I watch them, I'm like, no, 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 there is so much love between these two, and for people who are not from, like, that world or like that sort of relationship dynamic i think it's really hard for people to get into that or to understand that and not see it as like well this is an abusive mother and it's like she's not though like and i don't know how to make you explain that without being like you just kind of gotta know yeah i mean i i do think such a important moment in and also laurie metcalf's delivery of it is so great is in the the fight after the dance where Ladybird's like, didn't you ever go to sleep and like not put all your clothes away? And didn't you wish that your like mom was like okay with it or whatever? And uh, Marion's just like, my mother was an abusive alcoholic and like slams the door. And I do, <laughs> I just think it's so. I mean, I think it also highlights that like these things aren't a binary and like right maybe and maybe even. Like, if Marion's mom was an abusive alcoholic and was, like, even more, you know, there was, if we want to talk about, like, abuse or, you know, inappropriate behavior or whatever, like, that her mom was way worse than she is, maybe there was also still some care, tenderness there in brief moments, you know? Like, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't know. And I understand people's difficulty with it and i also think that like i don't know not to like bring bell hooks into the chat but like you know thinking about (laughs) thinking about like okay so if we don't want to use the word love right like if we want to say that like no like like this isn't how love is supposed to be expressed it's like okay like i'm i'm okay like taking that word out of out of the equation but i do think it's important to acknowledge like that there's tenderness or care or a trying or a connection or like whatever and and I personally like feel good about still calling that love and like I know my mom loves me so much and Mm -hmm. despite some similar things and like 
that's that's how I want to choose to use that word. And I understand if people want to do differently, but I think like there at least needs to be an acknowledgement of like relationships can be complicated and not be mm-hmm. all bad. Yeah. yeah. Love like, is not a one size fits all word. It's going to mean yeah. differently. It's It means something different to all of us and what it looks like is different for all of us. And I think it's also different from relationship to relationship. Like the way mm-hmm. that my sister and I, love one another is entirely different than the way that my mom and I love one another. And that doesn't make one of them better or worse. They're just different. Yeah. Yeah. Love comes in like many, many forms. Um, I also like, I don't know if this is like a huge controversial thing to be saying, but like, I feel like when it comes to being in like a social place, especially in 2002, where you have like gentle parenting language, uh, I, I don't think people realize that there's a certain privilege that comes with that that you know you're allowed to have these concessions and be more gentle because you're in a place where you've sat down and interrogated yourself and maybe gone to therapy and done all these other stuff Mm -hmm. as opposed to being a mom trying to make your family not lose their house like there's a great deal of stress like she's working doubles all the time dad's out of work like this is not a priority she's in survival mode not like I'm going to use gentle kid gloves with my, you know, kind of difficult teenage daughter mode. Yeah, like, she's working doubles at like a psych hospital. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Can, I can so imagine. I mean, that that's something that upon further rewatches, like really hangs over the movie for me of like, that that's the headspace that she's entering into her conversations with yeah. her family that we see. It's like, stressful. She's having to be the the rock all day long at work and like having to be... And we and we see that in that one moment with Stephen McKinley Henderson's character, like we we see that that tenderness and and sort of the understanding that she has to bring, and that's exhausting. And so of mm-hmm. course, when Ladybird's having like teenage problems, she's like, "Shut the fuck up!" Like you're well, yeah. so annoying. Especially like when you realize, like when you have the perspective of like, I just had one of your teachers tell me that he is like experiencing suicidal thoughts, and then I come home and you're just complaining about a boy. Jesus right. Christ. Like, when you're a teen, like, it's the biggest, most traumatic thing you've ever had in your life because everything is, like, the biggest thing because it's the only thing you've ever had. But, like, it's the perspective of these two things next to each other that, of course, she's not going to have the patience that she otherwise could. Especially coming from, like, you know, the generational trauma of her mom being an abusive alcoholic, at least from her perspective, that she is maybe not interrogated in terms of, like, her own parenting style where it's better than her own mother but it's not good like there's so many elements in play and i think understanding that is a huge part of understanding how how these characters function together and i don't know if people are willing to do that just because they hear the way that like laurie metcalf talks about you know her character talks that people go oh nope immediately i'm checking out like immediately not even gonna consider this not gonna humor it bye well, and also at the same time, like after after Lady Bird loses her virginity and is crying in the car with her mom, who again is coming from work, like in that moment, she's really lovely with Lady Bird and they like go like look at houses and pretend to be like looking for a house. Like they, they mm-hmm. she, when Lady Bird is actually in crisis, again, it's, it's about a boy. Like it's not, you know, like not to, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's telling that when she actually sees that her daughter is sad instead of angry she's able to show up and i think i think what's challenging i know something challenging for me is like that i don't think 
my mom was ever able to learn that like sometimes my expressions of anger were expressions of sadness which is also complicated Mm -hmm. by like gender stuff as well but like i i think even for you know cis straight ladybird like Marion's not able to recognize that like a lot of that anger is coming from a place of sadness and so like i i do appreciate that moment like again there's just all these little moments that to me make it such a layered film and one that i find so comforting to revisit absolutely um i don't know i, th- I think there's maybe something about did you did, asking someone hey did you grow up in a sad household or an angry household <laughs> in terms of how negativity was expressed because like was it expressed outward at each other or did everyone bottle it up and let it fester into horrible feelings <laughs> and i think that that's i think that that's like a probably a very big broad spectrum of of households that i i don't know if i've ever heard anybody have a discussion about that but i'm just thinking about it right now and i think it's i think it's i think it's i think it's interesting yeah, I mean, I, my parents are a New York Jew and an L.A. Jew, so I'm coming from a place of, like, a lot of loud talking over each other, uh-huh. you know, there was, there was not, that's something that's, that I find really interesting in, in work when I watch something where a family is, like, super waspy and doesn't, doesn't talk about feelings, and I'm, I watch that like I'm, I don't know, like, observing, like, a different species, it is, like, so fascinating for me to watch, and so when it's done well, it's like I love it because I'm like, wow, this is so different than the way my family functions. My oh. family's like full <laughs> this... transparent Pfefferman family. Like it's it's just t- constant talking over each other and like mm-hmm. escalating loudness. We had the inverse of this experience when we did our episode on Shiva Baby, and Ariel Fisher joined us, who is from like a very like loud Jewish family, and we joke a lot about the Italian Jewish uh, cultural sharing of like uh, sure. how our families kind of act exactly the same. <laughs> and then Harmony was like, "No one in my family talks. I, th- I this is like the zoo to me. I don't know what this is." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything we do is for you. Everything. Do you think I like driving that car around? No. Do you? No. Do you think I like working double shifts at the psych hospital? No. You needed to go to the Catholic school because your brother saw somebody knifed in front of him at the public school. Is that what you want? Larry, what are you doing on the computer? Nothing. You think your dad and I don't know how ashamed that you are of us? Your dad knows. Your dad knows why you ask him to drop you off a block away from school every day. Dad, I didn't mean to. You made him feel horrible. Horrible. I'm sorry. Do you know Marianne, that? you didn't have to bring no, that Larry, up. No, Larry, you can't just be the nice guy. She has to know. She has to know how you feel. Otherwise, she's just going to think she can say anything at all, and nobody ever gets hurt. Wrong side of the tracks. I didn't mean it that way. It was yeah. a joke. Yeah, it's just a joke. Mom and Dad, they don't care. We didn't think we'd be in this house for 25 years. We thought we would have moved someplace better. Whatever we give you, it's never enough. It's never it enough. It is enough. Do you have any idea what it costs to raise you and how much you're just throwing away every day? Give me a number. What? Give me a number. I don't understand. You give me a number for how much it costs to raise me, and I'm going to get older and make a lot of money and write you a check for what I owe you so that I never have to speak to you again. Well, I highly doubt that you will be able to get a job good enough to do that. The the outfit that, uh, that Ladybird wears in the New York scenes where she's, like, wearing the striped sweater and blazer, when I, like... After Ladybird came out, again, like I was only, I was out for less than a year when that was. And like, 
I got an outfit that was so similar to that. And it was like my uniform for when I like went out to like a thing was like this uh-huh. blazer and striped shirt. And I was like, it's my it's my ladybird look. Um, <laughs> so it really it really that, this, this that's movie some is real. Like, that's some yeah, real like, Regina George bought army pants and flip flops. Uh-huh. So I bought army pants and flip flops uh-huh, energy. Extremely. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like this movie is so 2002. And also for me personally, it flashes me back to 2017 with such an intensity. <laughs> I definitely bought many outfits that resembled Lindsay Lohan in 2003's Freaky Friday. Sure. Um, because I was like, this is the first time I've ever seen myself in a movie. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I bought a, a, bought a lot of outfits like that. Did a lot of rolling of plaid pants with a band t-shirt for pajamas because of that movie. So uh, I, I feel this in my bones. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you had Ladybird, which is a little bit more fashion and a little less uh, grungy hot topic <laughs> sales rack. So yeah. I mean, I <laughs> you're was doing also, a bit better. I was also 23, so I'm glad I had a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you can get away with less when you're 23 than when you're 13. Yeah, but like I don't know, you're if you go to college and stuff, like I don't know, I don't know, you can get away with doing stuff in college. That's true. I was also, I was right out of college, so but okay. I appreciate I appreciate that from you. I appreciate. Well, that. I mean, if it nothing else, like you are certainly not the most like out there thing in New York. No, that is absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love when I love when the the just dismissiveness of the like the nurse being like she's drunk. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Like, I don't know, it's, pers- I, I like versions of New York that are like this, personally. Um, like, the end of this is, like, it's shitty, but, like, it's the kind of shitty that you, that leads to adventures. Mm-hmm. So, this is the version of New York that I like that is the version from Loser, the version from Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, the version from the You in Weird Cities music video by Jeff Rosenstock. It's like, I don't know, like. It's it's filthy, but like that's the part that I think is exciting, and I I like to think that she's gonna have a lot of fun, right? Like, yeah. She's I mean, once she once she's through with like the second worst man she's ever been with <laughs> and missing home, she's probably gonna find her feet footing. <laughs> One detail that I love, and maybe we can end with this because it's the literal ending, is that the movie ends on her inhaling, and it is like she takes a breath in, and then it cuts to the credits, and um, I am in post on a short. And I have stolen that, and the movie ends, and I inhale and cut to black. So that's my little <laughs> ladybird reference in my film that I don't know when it will be out, but uh, uh, I really liked that. As I didn't observe that just because, as like a sharp film critic, I think Greta Gerwig in an interview like mentioned that, and I I noted it. Does this movie mm-hmm. have a commentary? If it does, I've watched it with commentary. I don't know if it does, um, but I at least watched a bunch of interviews, and at one point Greta Gerwig pointed that out, and. Um, I really, I really like that as, as like, this is the start of a journey. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate sign of like the next step in the coming of age process, because like, how is it that we enter this world? We breathe. Like Mm -hmm. you have a water birth. You just, you're swimming around being a little fish baby. You're not Mm -hmm. considered a human until you breathe. Um, So the fact that it ends on her taking that breath is that lets us know, like she, she's there. Like it's the next chapter of her life and I think it's poetic and and beautiful and I also love anybody making a phone call with smudged mascara Uh, there's just something about that that is just like ooh, been there see that like I would see that girl on the street and be like I know I know what you've been through you're gonna be okay kid (laughs) (laughs) 
So I think that that is a beautiful place to end. So Harmony, the question remains. Lady Bird is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? Oh, this is a yes. I don't I don't know if I came across as being like, yeah, but as much as I felt like I did in this episode. But like, <laughs> no, this is genuinely a very, very good movie. And I think that it's one of the best versions of this kind of story. And it's so smartly done. And I don't know, I think. Greta Gerwig's so great that I refer to her husband as Mr. Greta Gerwig, even mm-hmm. though, you know, he obviously has a significantly larger filmography. Um, I'm super psyched for fucking Barbie. People keep yes. asking us to do Little Women. Like, yes, Greta Gerwig's good, and I want her to keep doing the good things that she does because she did a good job with this, and everyone also did a great job with this. It's just big thumbs up, you know? <laughs> Too enthusiastic I, thumbs up. Yeah, I'm like, I there's nothing I can say about this that Drew didn't say much better than me. So yes. <laughs> uh and Drew, thank you so much for joining us. You've been an absolute delight. Where can people find you and your work if you want them to? Yeah, of course. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and technically TikTok, though I don't think that's my space. I don't really post on TikTok very much, but I all feel of them, that. <laughs> yeah, all of them are draw underscore Gregory. So my first name in the present tense underscore. Gregory um and if you want to read I wrote an essay about the Greta Gerwig Little Women that also brings up Lady Bird and if you just google my name and Little Women that'll probably pop up or if you want to type in the headline which was Little Women 2019 gave me permission to be sad you can you can read that essay beautiful I'll put that in the show notes because I have read that essay and it is fantastic and everyone should read it (laughs) and friends as always you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and sometimes TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by Ladybird? So there was a lot of different directions I could take this in, in terms of like musical inspiration. But here's here's my pitch to you. It's Timothy Chalamet's band but it's by some queer people. Perfect. So it's that specific form of like kind of soft, like smooth lo-fi indie rock, but like it's, it's, it's a lot gayer. It's June. It makes sense. So the person I'm shouting out is Allegra and the, the A at the end is capitalized, even though I don't think that's going to matter in terms of your search. Uh, they've been releasing singles for uh, a while, like several years now and a few EPs. Um, there's an EP that I particularly like called Lo-Fi Beats to Relax and Stretch To. It's like 15 minutes just for the beginning or the end of the day to just stretch to. Um, it, it's nice. I think all of it is super well made and just it's 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 really hard to describe like lo-fi indie rock without just using words like vibes because vibes means a lot of things. But like if you're interested in just getting a little dose of that perspective, my favorite songs by them are Needing You So Close, It's So Typical, and 321. So give that a listen and see if this is totally your Jimmy Jam because I'm a big fan for like this type of indie rock. It's It's nice. Wonderful. And again, that is Allegra with a capital A at the end. Uh, they're a little queer band out of Philly. So again, mm-hmm. shout not that Midwest as, as much as we humanly possibly can. The, the Midwest, like that that's my environment. The environment matters, damn it. <laughs> if we learned anything from this movie. All right, friends, we will see you next week. Thank you again for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
Hi, Mom and Dad. It's me, Christine. It's the name you gave me. It's a good one. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.